You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Welcome to another episode of Driving Law, normally with Kyla Lee. This week, I don't have Kyla Lee with me. It's Paul Doroshenko filling in as the host, and uh, Chad Haggerty, a guest star, actually here in the lower mainland of British Columbia with me today. Loving it here. Nice to see you, Paul. Glad to see you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Um, If... uh, if you follow either Kyla or myself on Twitter, you probably also follow Chad. He is a lawyer in Calgary. He was a former RCMP officer. He is uh, now, after only a couple of years of practice, highly regarded criminal lawyer handling heavy-duty cases. Uh, and um, you could say rising star, but you're, <laughs> like, you're, you're, you're old enough that your star shouldn't be rising anymore, but... Uh, you're certainly uh, impressive counsel, and uh, we met on Twitter uh, and have become friends. And it's uh, it's one of those uh, really enjoyable things about social media. Absolutely, we can say a lot of negative things about about the bird app, but uh, but there's some fantastic parts of it. You you and Kyle being big parts for me. Well, the interesting thing is, you can actually. I mean, you run into people throughout your life, and people become friends and acquaintances and what have you. Um, but often it's not, you know, it's more a situation of where you are located, right? Where you run into them, where you meet them, where you, you know, during the course of work, you work in the same place, for example. Um, but on, uh, on Twitter, you actually can suss out people who have thinking patterns and maybe some ideas that you have and some common feelings on things. And as a consequence, you, you can actually develop some pretty good friendships from people you meet in social media. Yeah, and just the last week, I've had uh, conversations with Christine Candea from Ontario, Brady Knight, and Brian Pfefferly from Saskatchewan, obviously you and Kyla, and all of those connections were made through Twitter and through social media. And there's been all sorts of things where um, working through Twitter and social media, um, Wrigley's behind me, i got to get his toy out, hang on, (laughs) through uh, Twitter and social media, um, you guys have ended up working on cases together? I was ended up working on cases with other people. You and Kyla had a matter that was together. Indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah. But speaking of Kyla, why is Kyla not here? Kyla is at, well, she says the happiest place in the world. And I think their marketing says the happiest ha- place in the world. Happiest place on earth. Yep. She uh, went to Disneyland. She flew there last night. She's meeting her friend, Sarah Schelke. Um, Sarah is uh, a uh, uh, Colorado lawyer who we've mentioned before because she's become very famous for suing the police for the horrible things that they've done. She was one of USA Today's top 20 most impressive women in the United States this year. Uh, and uh, she is incredibly entertaining. And so Kyla is at Disneyland with uh, with Sarah Schelke. So I can imagine that's going to be a fun time. Um the uh, and staying at the Grand Californian, and she went early this morning for the rope drop. So here you and I are in the office working. This is your vacation. This, uh, <laughs> Kyle and I have very different versions of vacation. Yeah. Good morning, Good morning, Rachel. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, this is your vacation. So we're going to talk about something that just came out today, and we're going to steal Kyla's thunder because she's wanted to talk about this for a while. We knew it had happened. We um, we didn't know what the decision was. And so there, of course, is, with our electronic device, distracted driving legislation, debate about the application of it and what people can and can't do. and. Recently, only a few months ago, as anybody who's listened to the podcast for a while knows, ICBC came out and and uh, at the beginning of Distracted Driving Awareness Month came out and made a false statement about what you could or couldn't do. And then there were some people in an ad. And then they did a really fast replacement where they <laughs> retracted that. And then somebody from ICBC went on the radio on the Mike Smith show. And he told people they could do something they couldn't do, which I think was use a cell phone when they're like stopped in traffic um, at like a, a train crossing or something like that. And so Kyla debunked all of this stuff. And she, of course, as you know, wrote legislation yeah. that the government never picked up, despite the fact they changed the Motor Vehicle Act twice in BC in the last like two months. Yeah, I, I think I think that action might be referred to as an officially induced error. Well, yeah, that's the thing. Uh, you know, if you only listen to that, you'd have an officially induced error and you probably could go, um, if you'd heard Mike Smith uh, the, the fellow from ICBC on the Mike Smith show saying that you could use your cell phone in those circumstances. Yeah. Uh, you know, and you relied on that. You actually genuinely relied on it. Yeah. Then that might be a defense in, in court. But in any event, um, the, uh, the confusion about the legislation extends to, um, what is an electronic device and what are the circumstances of it? And we knew that there was a case from an incident in August, 2022, where a, very senior um, traffic officer, Constable Marsh, who I think is with the Burnaby RCMP, had issued a ticket to someone for accessing their uh, Apple Watch. I think it was an Apple Watch, but I don't know that that's clear necessarily in the case, but that was my understanding of it. And a decision had been rendered. It had been argued, um, and a decision had been rendered, and we didn't know what the decision was, and nobody was coming out and telling us what the decision was. And we sought to get it, and I think we were the ones who actually paid to get the transcript of it. I'm not sure, but we have a transcript of it now sitting in front of myself and Chad. And Kyla wanted to know what was happening for the longest time. And to cut to the uh, to the end, um, the uh, individual was acquitted, but the facts are pretty important in this one. Absolutely, and and it's it's something that that impacts most of us. We're sitting here, Paul. You're not wearing a watch. I've got a Garmin Hartworks watch. Yeah. But it lets me know when I'm getting a phone call, lets me know when I'm getting texts, tells me what the weather is, tells me my fitness level, which I don't really like seeing it for. But um, we all have watches that... I, I have an Apple I have an Apple watch. I just stopped wearing it because the band got damaged and it was eating the edges of my shirt each right. day. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's something that impacts uh, all of us. And distracted driving legislation... There are differences, but it's fairly consistent across the provinces. Well, it's harsh across the provinces. In BC, it's four demerit points. It's a high risk offense, so you pay um, driver risk premium. I think I don't know if it's on your first or your second. Two um, cell phone tickets in a period of under two years, you're probably going to get a driving prohibition, even if you're a class five driver or a class one driver. So it's it's heavy consequences for it, and there's reasons for it. I mean, I'll tell you, in the last few weeks, I've been looking at people using their cell phones and I, I it, it bothers me to see it because it, there's lots of times I see it, it's dangerous um, and I, not a day goes by not a day goes by where I don't see somebody either holding their hand with the phone like the pizza 
or talking on their phone or texting or driving, moving slowly, driving with their knee and, and texting. And I mean, it is dangerous. The, the danger of checking, looking at your phone or glancing at or moving your phone, that's kind of like the least dangerous thing when you're sitting at a satellite. But then how dangerous is it if you're looking at your cell phone or looking at your watch, your wristwatch rather. And in this case, this individual was looking at her wristwatch and she testified about it. She admitted to um, telling the officer about it. They had a voir dire on the uh, on whether or not it was voluntary. She agreed that it was voluntary. And for context, she did indicate that her husband was in an accident and she received a text from him about the accident. Yeah. Not to justify what she did, but but she but she got a text on her watch and uh, she said she she actually used the words that uh, that she was scrolling on the device, looking wow. down at it. It took two clicks to dismiss the message. Um, Wrigley, you gotta stop. Running. Wrigley doesn't like people looking at their watches when driving. Apparently, yeah, I, and I'm, I'm with him on that one too. Uh, not, not the watch. I'm not complaining about the watch. Sorry, I'm in the case. Uh, but uh, that uh, it was connected through her Bluetooth through the phone. That was before the court. That was evidence before the court, and. Um, that uh, her husband had been in an accident and we didn't know when, I mean, it could have been six weeks earlier or something for all we know, but that she was looking at that, looking at that, uh, that message. So, so the evidence was pretty clear that she was using the cell phone. And, um, so the question then was, is this, or using the watch rather. And so the question then was, is this an offense? And that's what a case the judge actually engages in um, in an examination or a discussion about whether or not um, the definition of an electronic device for the purpose of of this section uh, includes wrist watches or wrist based items. And, and this has never been considered in Canada, as far as we know. And the um, the uh, Justice and Traffic Court, you know, asked for any case law and. He didn't know of any case law. I think the only case law provided was provided by the officer. By the officer, one case from Ontario, and uh, looking at the legislation, it was a little bit different. Yeah, so the uh, the justice distinguished that fairly readily. Um, and then did what we're taught in first-year law school. Look at the legislation. What does it say? What are the words that, that we need to abide by? And what was found is that uh, the prohibition against electronic device while driving is that a person must not use an electronic device while driving or operating a motor vehicle on a highway. So straightforward. That would seem like it would make out the offense. But then the next issue was all of this discussion in the legislation of what constitutes a electronic device. And everything in the legislation speaks of handheld, handheld, handheld. Right. So <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you hold your watch in your hand? No. Your watch is meant to be worn. That's basically the conclusion of the case. Absolutely. Uh, and what, the, what the justice did was take a look at it and stated uh, Ms. Chung's watch was not held in her hand. The focus of the legislation is, quote, handheld. Um, handheld, would, as, as the justice said, in, in their view, handheld would normally mean that the device, is, the device in question is either held in the hand or designed to be held in the hand. Had the legislature intended to include a wristwatch in the above definition, it would have been a simple matter to do so. And, they, and that's not wrong. 
had they intended it to be risk-based devices, that's the addition of a few words. And, of course, they can always change the legislation. They've had plenty of times to do it. Um, and there's one really final good point in there. If you take a look at the prescribed electronic devices, um, there's a list of some of them. It says an electronic device includes a hands-free telephone function for one that includes a hands-free telephone function. That might be it. Global positioning system. Well, you, I mean, your Apple Watch can probably tell you where you are. Handheld electronic devices. And again, handheld. One of the purposes of which is to compute data. Okay, well, think about that for a minute. We'll get back to it. Handheld audio players. I can play it music on my iPhone. Hand microphone. So holding a microphone in your hand, presumably connected to your um, your cell phone or a television. But let's think about that for a second. Your watch, okay, almost every watch these days has some electronics in it. And... Almost any watch these days <laughs> computes data in some form or another. Like, good luck with that definition. Computes data. And so the uh, justice said, look, like, most watches these days are electronic, and all sorts of people have an electronic watch. And um, <laughs> if, it, uh, if it's an electronic device of any sort, it computes data in some form or another. Um, I have... Uh, Polaroid camera I keep in my car, and I've also got like a GoPro. Um, and sometimes I will grab it to take a photograph of something. It only can take pictures, but that computes data. Absolutely. Uh, those are handheld. Um, maybe I'm committing the offense now that I see this uh, decision by holding those. Um, but um, I don't know. I don't, you know, I think it's probably one of those things that uh, would have to be specifically prescribed in the legislation or the regulations. So by that definition, I mentioned my watch is a garment. My watch can actually act as a global positioning system. Yep. It can download maps and be used to to follow tracks uh, the same way Google Maps, well, not the same way, but in an equally equivalent way to, to Google Maps. Now, basically, yeah. you know where you are at any time. 100% as well. <laughs> Theoretically. Uh, so does that mean my watch, if I looked at it and that information came out in evidence, would that? Yeah, exactly. So I, I guess that's what the reason for the acquittal. So this is a fairly significant uh, decision in BC because all of these people are driving around with their watches wondering whether or not they're breaking the law. And it looks to me on the basis of this decision now that you can check your text messages on your Apple Watch or whatever watch you're wearing despite the fact that your Apple Watch is in your car and connected to your vehicle. Now, I would say still don't do this if you have your L or your N, uh, but if you're a Class 5 or a Class 1 driver uh, and you've got an Apple Watch and you're using that for the purpose of, you know, what have you, and it's it's designed to be worn, okay? It's not like your cell phone. Um, don't attach your cell phone to your wrist with some duct tape because your cell phone is not designed to be worn. So, and that should include everything. It's wrist-based, and if you were... Using your your Apple Watch as your phone, yeah. By by this by this case by this definition, and I, I used to um, the when I first got my Apple Watch, it was not uncommon for me to answer calls on it, and I wondered whether or not I was breaking the law. Apparently, I wasn't. <laughs> I stopped doing it because I thought my personal view was it was not within the spirit of the law, and I'm a lawyer, and I try and stick within the spirit of the law. But um, now, you know. Uh, it's fair game. Right. The question that I have is, in BC, everything that I've seen, read, or heard is that 
the enforcement on electronic devices and distracting drivers, it, it's pretty heavily enforced in BC. I don't think it has the same attention in Alberta. Well, in Alberta, you could drive, you know, you drive two kilometers and you'll see a speed trap. It, in BC, you can drive for six weeks and not see a speed trap. But when you do get caught, uh, they don't pull you over unless you're going at least 15 kilometers over the speed limit. In Alberta, you can get pulled over eight kilometers an hour over the speed limit. And when you do get caught in BC, you get one ticket, not so bad. You get two tickets and you're facing a potential license suspension <laughs> at a huge expenses and, of course, the uh, insurance consequences. And cell phones... Again, you don't see as much enforcement. It's one thing that I would like to see more enforcement of personally, although, I, again, I don't like the, the ambiguities in the law. But, um, you know, when you do get it, it's a heavy hit. Right. Right. And speaking of that, the ambiguities in the law, you mentioned earlier that the legislature could change this law to, to make it clear, to make it broader. Um, Generally, that's not favored. <laughs> I think it's probably, if anything, it has to be more specific to specific circumstances because there's so many things like a railway crossing. A railway crossing, the crossing guards are down. Everybody stop. If you put your vehicle in park in those circumstances, should you be trapped there for 15 minutes waiting for the train or the work they're doing on the railway without being permitted to look at your phone and to use your phone to send somebody a message to tell them that you're late? I mean, I think most of us would say in those circumstances, it's ridiculous. But then, you know, we had people who were getting tickets in the COVID queues, remember, in their cars. Right. And they're all stopped and they've been sitting in their car for 20 minutes and their car hasn't moved for 20 minutes because they're in the COVID queue in their car and they were getting cell phone tickets in Burnaby. <laughs> so the interesting thing with that, and I'm going to flip back to my, my previous careers as an officer. Yeah. My experience then and my experience... Now, as a defense lawyer, is that very often legislators and uh, judicial officials, judges, justices, give deference to police officers. And there seems to be an expectation that officers will use discretion when issuing tickets, enforcing the law across the board. Giving tickets in a, in a COVID queue and doing things similar to that, I have a problem with those on many levels, but it speaks to this belief that officers will use appropriate discretion. And I think sometimes, and I'm going back and pointing the finger at myself when I was in uniform, um, it was all too easy to forget the realities of everyday existence. For sure, for sure. I mean, look at police officers parking outside of bars and liquor stores because it's like the best fishing hole, right? Um, look at police officers issuing tickets at the spots where people get stuck in traffic. Um, it's the best fishing hole. And I'll tell you, you go fishing and you've been fishing uh, all day, or even if you're, you know, you just feel like you, you need to catch one. Um, when you catch a fish that is just big enough, <laughs> like just 30, 32 centimeter Dolly Varden and 30 centimeters is your cutoff and you're hungry. Yeah. You know, you keep that fish, you don't throw it back. And so that's basically the same thing happening. And it's, it's so analogous to, to the fishing, the fishing of all to me. That certainly, <laughs> and that wasn't intended to, to, to negatively uh, characterize officers. Oh, there's some officers who are great, but they, you know, they're just like any other human. Some are terrible. <laughs> and generally, um, the mandatory ticket numbers quotas were, were frowned upon. 
but when they're used as performance evaluation tools, then at the end of the month, you'll go to the fishing hole and you'll write the ticket that you wouldn't normally write because it's better that than getting getting uh, getting written up for not handing out enough tickets. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. You, you know, police officers are like semi-autonomous out there, right? Um, it's not like they, they have to be at this location and get there and then deliver to another location or, you know, something like that. They, 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 there's some autonomy in their day and there's going to be, you know, they can be faster or slower with some people. Uh, you know, I was issued a ticket once where the officer had gave, gave me the ticket in under a minute. Wrote the whole thing up in under a minute. Um, and, uh, you know, that's not the normal course of action. It usually takes seven to ten minutes to write up a ticket for a traffic offense, for example. Um, but again, every officer is going to do it differently. They have to have some way to ensure that the taxpayers are getting their value out of that officer doing their job. Um, and uh, unfortunately, one of the ways that they do it is looking at, you know, how many tickets he issued in that yeah. period of time. And so um, this is an issue that we have. Um, in any event, we've talked about this case and that for a long time. Uh, so this driver, I think it was ridiculous that she made the admission she did. However, it worked out in her favor. Oh, the law worked out in her favor. Right. I mean, the, in the end, it was just the truth came out so often in court, the truth doesn't come out. But if anybody doesn't know this, court is not an exercise in discovering the truth, right? Court is an exercise in what is admissible and what isn't admissible. Sometimes that works out for the benefit of the person and sometimes it doesn't. It really depends on the, the process and the type of process. And we, we're always trying to strive for fairness. But it doesn't mean that we always are. And as a defense lawyer, you might have been looking at this and saying to yourself, I don't want to run this evidence. Um, but in this case, she ran all of the evidence. And she, you know, in law, she was right. Fair. So, in any event, let's uh, take a quick break here and have our McGracken moment. Ladies and gentlemen... Let loose the law and justice cracking Eric McGrackan. Welcome to the McGracken moment. Uh, we've got a precedent, folks. We have one of the first, if not the first, minor injury determinations by the Civil Resolution Tribunal. Let me break this down. There's a two-year period uh, from May 2019 till 2021 where most injuries were considered minor injuries. So if you're a crash victim, you still had the right to sue during those years, but the law was rigged that almost every injury was considered a minor injury. And ICBC could argue your injuries are minor if you sue. And if they argue that, they could force you to the Civil Resolution Tribunal who have jurisdiction to answer that question. I don't want to get bogged down in too many of the nuances, but that's the broad strokes of what I'm talking about. Over all these years, there's been almost no cases addressing this issue as various constitutional questions were being answered. But now we've got our first precedent and... Chronic myofascial pain impacting a plaintiff for two and a half years, ongoing symptoms, who knows when they're going to resolve? That's a minor injury. So 
I'm not surprised. The law is very heavy-handed. The words don't mean what you think they mean. For political purposes, the government said we're going to cap payments for pain and suffering for minor injuries. And Joe and Jane Public say, hey, that sounds fair. But when you read minor injury, it covers brain injuries. It covers uh, all sorts of chronic disabling conditions, chronic pain, headache disorders, nasty, nasty things. Now, there's ways injuries can get out of the minor injury cap. Uh, but uh, chronic myofascial pain, in the case of Silver and All West Heritage Glass Limited, lasting over two and a half years, was found to be a minor injury because the plaintiff was not disabled from that injury, and the plaintiff's activities of daily living were not negatively impacted enough to shake off that minor injury label. So, folks, we've got our first precedent. We're going to have a lot more coming uh, in the near future. Uh, but here's our first case, and expect more clarity in this growing area of law to come our way soon. Thank you. Thanks, Eric. That was great. Um, always uh, happy to hear uh, Eric's thoughts on these things. And uh, you're going to Victoria. Maybe you could link up with Eric. Hoping to. Yeah. Absolutely hoping to. In any event, Chad, it is now time for my favorite part of the program, which is the... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. A surprising bestseller? The pinpoint method of cross-examination is catching on. Law firms and new litigators across Canada have caught on to cross-examination, the pinpoint method. Kyla Lee's straightforward handbook that teaches you effective cross-examination skills. Ridiculous driver of the week, my favorite part of the program too. Well, this is a great one, and a lot of people will have seen it already because it's all over the news. It is from this week. Um, this was uh, all captured on a police officer's body cam, and uh, what had happened was there was a flatbed tow truck um, out on the side of the highway. This was a highway that appeared to be at probably four lanes, two lanes each direction with a median in between, and the officer standing in the median, uh, and uh, on the one side of the highway where it's two lanes going a certain direction, the tow truck was on the left-hand side of the road. Across the median from the office? Yeah, or the officer, I think, was standing in the median in between the two right. lanes. Um, and um, had its, it was a ramped one, so it was a flatbed, flat deck one, and it had its ramp tilted back, uh, and it was to deal with, uh, I think, a vehicle on the other side of the road. It was probably about to pull across the highway when it was safe and then back up to that vehicle, but something else happened. Um, <laughs> a, a car driving, like, full highway speed drove up the ramp, um, struck the uh, headache rack on the on the top of the um, the ramp, and then clipped the cab of the truck, flew through the air, Dukes of Hazard style, absolutely, and landed on its side. And also, it looked like it struck a car that um, managed to keep its momentum up enough that it struck a car that had been driving alongside it, like parallel prior to that. Um, but the, uh, I mean, so it's ridiculous for lots of reasons. But the amazing thing was. Um, the police officer. I I watched that and my immediate thought was the reactions of that officer are brilliant. Much, much better than the driver that launched. I mean, I would have just been standing there, you know, with my mouth agap, 
uh, <laughs> watching this car flying through the air. So to describe what we're talking about, before the car landed, the officer with the body cam that captures the video is running toward the la- toward the landing spot of the of the airplane slash vehicle. <laughs> Not only that. But he's announcing to everybody else around what's happening as it's happening. He's got it on his radio, and he's radioing it as he's running, and it's all on the body cam, and he's describing it. So they've like, you know, I need, I'm gonna need an ambulance. I'm gonna like the whole, the whole thing. And it's well, the car's still in the air. He's 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 on his radio describing what's happening. So one thing I've missed is whether or not the driver hurt themselves or was hurt in the accident. They must have. Oh, they were they were injured uh, and I think it was uh, serious but they're stable and will likely have a recovery I think was my understanding but in any event, so this was in Georgia and uh, you just have to, I mean I just looked it up, I knew I was going to look for it and I typed in the word launch uh, and <laughs> that came up in the news and I'm sure Jay will put it in the um, in our, uh, the thumbnail. our, our, our Twitter uh, maybe in the thumbnail, who knows but in any event, that's a, it was a pretty good, ridiculous driver. Absolutely appropriate for today's topic as well, because it's distracting like that. that that's at the heart of the cell phone legislation. It, it was a uh, uh, person who apparently was distracted in driving. And you're thinking to I guess that's the assumption if they weren't drunk, um, because how else do you do that? I will tell you, there's a funny story, and I remember being told by an officer when it happened um, that a very similar thing happened on the Canby Bridge in Vancouver. Uh, they were doing um, a, uh, a roadblock, an impaired driving roadblock. Right. They had stopped a uh, car to go, which was a smart car at the time. It was being pulled up onto the back of a flat deck truck. Um, being towed and uh, somebody came flying up Canby Bridge in a Mustang didn't see the roadblock or anything probably drinking too went up the ramp and hit the car to go and launched it off the over the truck and it landed in the roadway now you know officers told me about this this was not many of my clients involved with it at the time Uh, but uh, the reason that they uh, thought it was so funny was the um, the person who had the car to go apparently turned to the officers uh, and said, well, that's not my problem anymore. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, I've, I've never had any other confirmation of that happening. Nobody else told me about it except the two officers who said they were there. So maybe it's apocryphal. Maybe it's one of those things that uh, will sink into legend and never really happened. In any event, Chad, thanks so much uh, Thank for Brad. being on the podcast. And I hope Kyla's having a good time today. She was there for Rope Drop. She's probably got her Mickey Mouse ears on and um, is uh, enjoying the park. And Not yet seen pictures of her with most years on Twitter. I think that needs to be remedied. Yeah, well, maybe she'll listen to the podcast or we can send her a text message and let her know. So tune in again next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law. Kyla Lee will be back. And if you need to get a hold of me or Kyla, you can give us a call, 604-685-8889. If you have any criminal or legal issue that is substantive, frankly, because Chad's a pretty impressive guy. You can phone Chad. And my number is 587-888-3369, primarily based in Alberta, do some work in Saskatchewan, and not yet in BC. And solely going to move to BC if I can persuade him to, uh, to come here after the recent Alberta election. Okay, so thanks a lot. Join us next week.